You are listening to the Lima Community Church Podcast. The following was recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. Last weekend, I was uh, on a spiritual retreat called the Road to Emmaus. And I got to tell you, it was something. Uh, 72 hours without a phone, which is wonderful. 72 hours without a wristwatch, not so much. (laughs) I didn't realize how accustomed I was to looking at that. Um, But the Lord met with us in in a wonderful way. In 1904, William Borden, the son of a wealthy industrialist, graduated in Chicago from high school. His parents sent him on a round-the-world trip with a chaperone. And he spent time in Asia and the Middle East and in Europe. And as he did, he felt a growing burden for the world's hurting people. And so he wrote home and said, I am going to be a missionary. One of his friends said, that's throwing himself away as a missionary. (laughs) In response, he wrote two words in the back of his Bible. No reserve. And even though uh, young Borden was very wealthy, when he arrived on the campus of Yale University in the fall of 1905, he tried to look just like all the other freshmen. Very quickly, however, his classmates noted something very different about him, and it wasn't that he had lots of money. One of them wrote, quote, he came to college far ahead of any of us spiritually. We who were his classmates learned to lean on him and find, him, find in him a strength that was solid as a rock. During his college years, uh, Borden made an entry in his personal journal that defined what his classmates were seeing in him. That entry simply said, say no to self and say yes to Jesus every time. During his first semester at Yale, he began a, a, a prayer gathering with just one friend soon joined by a third and then a fourth. And by the time it was over, uh, his freshman year, there were 150 freshmen meeting to pray in the morning before class. And by the end of his senior year, out of the 1,300 students at Yale, 1,000 were gathering for prayer in the morning before class. In his sophomore year, Uh, He organized uh, Bible study groups and they divided the class of 300 up and said, who's going to begin to pray for this one and this one and this one? And so various classmates did and and a couple times incorrigible type people showed up. He said, well, I guess I'll take them. Put that on me. And, And his outreach efforts weren't limited to the campus at Yale. He cared about the widows and the orphans and the disabled. He rescued drunks from the streets of New Haven. And he founded the Yale Hope Mission. One of Bill Borden's friends wrote that he, quote, might often be found in the lower parts of the, uh, of the city at night, on a street or in a cheap lodging house or some restaurant which he had taken, which, uh, to which he had taken a poor, hungry fellow to feed him and seek to lead him to Christ, unquote. In time, Borden's uh, vision narrowed to the Muslim Kanzu 
people of China. And that's where he decided he was going to spend his life, with the Kanzu people of China. And fixing his eyes on that goal, he never wavered. And he also challenged his classmates to consider missionary service. And although he was a, a millionaire, he realized that he was to be about his father, heavenly father's business, and not wasting time in the pursuit of amusement. Upon graduating from Yale, he turned down some pretty high-paying jobs. And it's reported that he wrote in his Bible two more words, no regret. William Borden went on to do graduate work at Princeton Seminary in New Jersey. And when he completed that, he set sail for China. Because he was hoping to work with Chinese Muslims who spoke Arabic, he stopped in Egypt to live with a family where he would learn to be conversational in Arabic. But while he was there, he contracted spinal meningitis. meningitis. And within a month, 25-year-old William Borden was dead. When the news of William Borden's death was cabled back to the United States, the story was carried in every major newspaper, and a wave of sorrow went out throughout the world. Borden gave away not only his wealth, but he gave away himself in such a joyous and natural way that it seemed like a privilege rather than a sacrifice. He's buried in the American cemetery in Cairo, and on his grave were inscribed the words suggested by the commentator Charles Erdman. Quote, apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. Was Borden's death untimely? Was it a waste? Not from God's perspective. Borden had written two more words in the back of his Bible. Underneath the words, no reserve, no retreats, he wrote, that second one is supposed to be no retreat, I apologize. No reserve, no retreat, no regrets. 25 years old. To be able to say, no reserve, no regret, no retreat. It's pretty powerful. And that brings us to our scripture today. And it's a daunting one. It's one that we know and it's one that we read, but let's pay particular attention to what it might say to us today. It was just before the Passover festival, John writes in the 13th chapter. Jesus knew the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go on to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. John begins by saying Jesus knew certain things. Number one, he knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Number two, <laughs> he knew he had come from God. And number three, he knew that he was soon returning to God. 
And because he knew these things, they were the core of his identity. And even though the meal had started and nobody had washed feet, sometime in the middle of the meal, he thought, I need to make this right. And he got up after the meal had started. He got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing. He wrapped a towel around his waist. He poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet. And he dried them with a towel that was around his waist. Now you and I can likewise know who we are. Our identities are equally secure. We know that we have come from God. And we know that we are returning to God. We can operate with the same confidence that Jesus did. After all, in Ephesians 1, it says, For he chose us, in him being Jesus, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. I hesitate to put in that scripture in there because it has that word predestined. And normally I like to spend some time saying, here's what it doesn't mean. I don't have that time today. So let me just say, everybody's predestined. You're predestined. So is the person sitting next to you. So is everyone. He has predestined us. So he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, you're going to wash my feet? <laughs> Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. <laughs> then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands, my head, everything as well. It's interesting that Peter asked the question of Jesus that he knew the answer to. He, he watched him. Peter wasn't the first person he came to. We don't know how many disciples' feet were washed before it was Peter, but we know some. You're going to wash my feet, he asked. Jesus' response to Peter was that what he is doing is an object lesson. And uh, regardless, it was out of the question for Peter. Peter couldn't handle it. He, he, he thought it was too unseemly. He would never have his feet washed by Jesus because a slave was supposed to do that. Jesus here kind of pulled rank on Peter and said, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Kind of an ultimatum, really. In other words, make up your decision because the stakes are high. Wash and stay with me or don't wash and we're kind of done. In typical Peter fashion, he, he goes overboard. Then wash all of me, he says. Jesus answered, those who've had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. You are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that's why he said, not everyone was clean. This is a fascinating thing. Because as Jesus went down the line of disciples, Judas Iscariot slipped off his sandals. 
Jesus lovingly took a foot and washed it and dried it, put it back in its sandal. The very one that was about to sell him. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord and right. Fully so, because that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus said, I'm the teacher. That's what you call me. (laughs) I'm the Lord. You call me that too. I'm both of these things. And yet I have stooped to wash your feet. You should do the same. In Luke's gospel, Luke's recounting of the Last Supper, the disciples break into an argument about who's the greatest. (laughs) Jesus had to solve that argument more times than that once. And it was probably when they all walked in this upper room, there was no servants. Jesus wanted privacy. There were no slaves. Any one of those disciples could have said, well, I'll wash feet. But to do so would be to say, I'm the least of everybody here. I can't do that. So the meal had started. And perhaps it was after Judas had been tempted and agreed that that Jesus sensed that he needed to do this. So to set an example, Jesus got up and he washed the feet of his men. He said, and you should do as I have done for you because no servant is greater than his master. You're not greater than me. And since I have done this, you should do this too. And you'll be blessed if You do. Now, in Jesus' day, foot washing was necessary. I mean, people walked around with sandals, which is a couple strands of leather around them, and their feet walked through the dust of the day. And it was unsanitary, and it was dirty. And so they would arrive at a banquet having already taken a bath, but in the process of getting there, it was their feet that became dirty. And so a slave or the lowest rank servant would wait at the door and wash everyone's feet as they came through. But today, it's not necessary to wash feet. This morning you got up, put on clean socks, and you put on shoes, and uh, we don't walk on dusty streets. So what is the equivalent today? You know, it's interesting that Jesus did for them what they could have done for themselves. But they didn't. Much of what we do in compassionate ministries, we do for people who can't do for themselves. But that's not what Jesus did here. He washed their feet. They could have washed their own feet. We mentor children who do not have adult support in their lives. We provide beds for women who run from violent husbands. We provide meals for the homeless, bicycles for the indigent, 
boxing lessons for children who could never afford them and on and on and on. But here, Jesus is doing what was very possible for the disciples to do themselves. So what's the equivalent for us today? I suppose polishing one another's shoes <laughs> or detailing one another's cars or buying groceries or taking out the garbage for someone or holding them while they cry or listening to them when they go on and on about not knowing what to do. I suppose just being present. You know, if you think about it, washing feet is a pretty intimate thing to do. It allows for physical contact. It also allows for the potential of infection. It's not sterile. Sterile. It's not something you would normally do for one another. Not only does it remove the dirt from the day, it, it refreshes, but it puts the person washing the feet in contact with all kinds of germs and contaminants. Didn't have to be done. More important than what is done, whether it's washing feet or polishing shoes or buying groceries, is the motivation behind all of these things. Jesus adopted the role of a servant. Now, he didn't have to, but he did. And by so doing, he tells us to do the same. We are to serve one another. And at times, we do for one another what somebody could do for themselves. But we serve them. We take the place that perhaps nobody else wants to take place. In the last several decades, Christians in America have clamored for the rights. They have said, we don't deserve this. We demand this. We have rights. Okay, okay, okay. But you know the biggest right we have? The biggest right we have is the right to serve to get on our knees, wrap a towel around our waist and wash the feet of those who could just as easily wash them themselves but hadn't. We're to serve. William Borden died as a 25-year-old. In the back of his Bible are six words. No reserve, no retreat, no regret. We need to lead the same kind of life where we serve, where we give, where what becomes known of us is that we're servants that we serve a higher calling. That we're not a hyphenated Christian. I'm a Christian activist. I'm a Christian feminist. I'm a Christian Democrat. I'm a Christian Republican. I'm a Christian hyphenated. I'm a Christian who serves. We serve. Paul writes 
After a long expose on the cross, he writes, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. He washed his disciples' feet. He finished the meal. And then he served them the first Lord's Supper ever and created a sacrament that we practice to this very day and is practiced by millions, if not billions of people throughout the globe today. If you would take your communion element. Having tried to teach them about servanthood, being pretty aware that that went over their heads because they began to argue about who was the greatest. He went on to give them another lesson that would also go over their heads until a few days later when they would realize what he said and what was meant by it. You and I, of course, know already that when he took the bread and he broke it and he passed it to them saying, this is my body broken for you. We get it. And with a heart that is so appreciative of his sacrifice. Would you eat that? same way he took the cup and he blessed it and he said to them this represents the blood of the new covenant my blood spilled for your sin with a grateful heart knowing that you could have never paid the debt of your sin nor ever earn it but it was freely forgiven by his grace go ahead and drink of that Jesus, we find ourselves humbled today in your presence. Having watched you, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the owner of a thousand hills and all the hills, the captain of the mighty host of heaven, getting on your knees and washing the crust 
of dirt off of disciples' feet. Then tolerating their arguments about who was the greatest, you shared with them what you were about to do. You're about to allow your body to be broken and your blood to be spilled. This is more overwhelming to us than we can say, Lord. We are humbled by your obedience. And we pray that this week you would allow us to adopt the same posture and serve and love and give and not keep score. I pray these things, our Father, in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Would you stand for our benediction? I would invite you, if you'd like to come and pray afterwards, you're welcome to do that. There's always a place here to pray. Father, bless these friends of mine who you love and I love also, but you love so much more. Would you dismiss them in your great grace? And this week, would they find opportunities to serve? And would they remember that it is their nature to serve? It is their spiritual DNA to serve. And as we give thanks on Thursday and Friday and over the weekend, would you inhabit the thanksgiving and praise of your people? who you have blessed beyond measure. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you, my friends. I love you. You're dismissed. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, visit limacommunitychurch.com.